You're listening to The Abby Khan Show, a podcast that inspires people to achieve what they once believed was impossible. My name's Abby Khan. I'm an actor, health and fitness coach, and it is my mission to connect with interesting people, share their stories, find out how they optimize their lives for success, and how you can do the same. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of The Abby Khan Show. Today, I am joined by Mr. Shane O'Leary from Muscle Nerds, who is somebody I've been looking forward to talking to for a little while now after looking at your content, Shane. It is A, hilarious, for one, and B, super, super relevant and educational. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, man. Really appreciate it. Mate, just for the couple of people that may not know who you are, tell me a little bit about you, what sort of got you in the industry, and what is it that you specifically do? Um, yeah, so I mean, I played a lot of sport growing up, decided to uh, pursue that with going to university, getting a degree in exercise science. Initially, found myself pursuing uh, chronic kidney disease pa- uh, patients and looking at how exercise can help mediate a lot of the inflammatory effects and things like that with honours study and further study. But the problem was, I just like many of us, burn yourself out, burn the candle at both ends. Um, eventually, got chronic fatigue, found I had celiacs, got all these health issues that just kind of brought my world tumbling down in the end. And then uh, from there, it opened up a new pathway for me in terms of looking at health on a whole different level. Then when I moved into personal training, um, started off at a gym in Wellington in New Zealand, um, built up a really good client base there, really good understanding, but I just found there was always kind of this thirst for wanting to know more and wanting to be better. And so eventually moved to Australia as that's where I was doing most of my educational um, trips to. So I decided to save all of that money and actually just relocate to where a lot of the education was centered. Uh, From there, ended up working in a gym over here, one-on-one with a lot of people, and then uh, gradually made the shift over to working for Muscle Nerds full-time. And at one point was their sole coach, and then now working alongside some of the other coaches that were gradually bringing on board. Brilliant. And I love that you talked about sort of health after going through your own health issues, which is brilliant. And I think that sort of is a perfect segue into our first question. When we're looking at body composition, a lot of people do struggle with the the question of, do I get lean first before I want to look put on mu- uh, muscle tissue? Or do I go through, I guess, a bulk to, you know, to put on a maximum amount of muscle tissue and then go and get really lean. What are your sort of thoughts on that and what do you advise people should think about before even doing either of those things? Yeah, I think the the hardest thing there is that we want to jump into either starting off, uh, I need to get lean or like you said, I need to bulk. And we don't think about like, what else do I need to get sorted out first? And most of us have so many kinks or wrinkles, if you will, that we need to iron out. And I find with a lot of clients is that, especially when they start off, we we tend to specialize training general population clients. We work a lot with coaches, we work a lot with athletes as well. But whatever I give, um, whatever demographic you work with, it tends to be these kind of repeating factors that a lot of people struggle with. And you tend to notice it's slip, digestion, stress. What do I eat? How do I train? How do I manage my stress levels? Um, and trying to figure out how do you balance all of that and then what are you going to need needing to look to achieve further on down the line. So for us, if people are wanting to, let's say, lean out or if they're wanting to bulk, first off, our main goal is to get metrics in all of us. So we're looking at improved 
blood pressure, getting heart rate, like waking heart rate down to 150s to 60s, depending on the person. We want to see a, a trending um, positive HRV, so anywhere kind of between 65 to 80. Again, very dependent on the person. But mainly once we start to get a lot of those health metrics in order, we tend to notice there tends to be an improvement body composition anyway. Now, I would say for me is that when I'm looking at putting someone through some type of body composition change, if they are wanting to put on muscle, it depends on what state they're in at the moment. If they've been slamming a lot of food uh, in the past and if they've been training high volume but they haven't necessarily got the results that they've wanted to get, that's going to usually be pretty indicative that whatever they're currently doing is not working. So we need to fix something. So we tend to prefer work on getting people leaner, work on getting people more conditioned. Then, and that could be bringing food down just slightly below maintenance or even to maintenance. It depends on what values they've been sitting at in terms of uh, how aggressive that surplus has been or even how aggressive that deficit's been if they've been dieting for a long period of time. So it's not always a case of, do you jump in to make someone leaner? It could just be a case of, okay, we just back off some of the training for a bit, give the body a rest, then let's reset and work on it from that aspect. I think the hardest thing for a lot of people to get their head around is that they feel like they're taking two steps backwards to start with before they can actually move forward. And that usually, especially when they come and train, is they think that they're going to get this really hard or advanced level training they see what we write out on paper and they say, well, this looks simple. Then they actually put it to practice and they realize how sore they are and how um, just how immobile and how, how limited they've become over time in terms of what they're capable of. So it's about expanding those opportunities for what we can do with them first, as I say, ironing out kinks and wrinkles, then looking at, right, now what do we actually need to do for body composition, but also what's going to be sustainable for you? And this is something that, I know we post about this a lot, but this is something that really frustrates me is that we take these templates in terms of body composition, especially when we look at fat loss. I mean, that's going to be the most common thing we tend to see in the industry. And people apply really aggressive deficits for rapid transformations. And I get it. There's marketing and there's all those other things involved. But the problem is that if someone's already working a high-stress job, if someone's only able to train two or three times a week, We've got to extend those time frames out a bit and be slightly less aggressive and work on more sustainable changes over time. If someone's not sleeping, if someone has already got poor gut health or digestion is off or just their stress management's through the, uh, poor and their stress levels are through the roof, we don't need to be exacerbating that by then making everything infinitely harder and also harder to sustain when they come out the other side. So for me, is I'd rather take a much more... I guess some people would call it a delicate approach, but I'm also working on fine-tuning a lot of the health aspects first because I know if I can get, like I say, metrics, sleep, digestion in order, everything else is going to be infinitely easier for me, but it's also going to be much easier and less stressful for the client, and then they realize how sustainable fat loss can be. I, I think you just hit on the nail on the head there is the, the sustainability. A lot of people looking at these, I guess, 12-week transformations are, is, okay, I'm just going to jump into a deficit, increase energy expenditure, and get to where I want to be. But as you've touched on there, there's so many other, I guess, puzzles or pieces of the jigsaw that people need to look at in order to have long-term sustainable um, results, regardless of what that might be. Yeah, and we're fixated as well. I put a post up on this a while ago in terms of being fixated about scale weight. 
and everyone's looking at what do I weigh? I'm 100 kilos this day. Okay, now I'm 90. Now I'm 92, and it's like that's all we're tracking, and we're losing sight of there is more to life than just what is said on the scale. I mean, we start feeding people. Like, if you want rapid loss, cool. Pull all your carbohydrates out. You drop a lot of water. That's fine. It doesn't indicate that that's fat loss. But we're creating this connection where if I hop on the scale and it's down, that's a positive thing. Okay, but why is the scale down? It's going to be a reflection of what you've done previously. It's not necessarily a reflection of that day's action. But then when we're actually looking at making changes, we need to also be considering how are you feeling? Like, How's your mood doing? How's your energy are you feeling warm or are you feeling cold all the time? Are you noticing that you're still able to focus at work? Like some of these clients that we have run very high, high demand jobs and it's all very well to look at training and look at calories and look at, okay, what are we doing with nutrition and you need to get however many thousand steps in. But if we're not considering also what they're doing day to day, they've got, most of them have got far more mentally fatiguing jobs than what you and I have because they have to be on the ball all the time in meetings depending on what level they are in, in their corporate situations. They don't have that ability to just kind of, okay, well, middle of the day, I'll go and have a nap or something like that. They've got to be on the money all the time. And if you're starting to cause any type of degradation to that work performance, that's not a beneficial change for me. That's where I'm considering, okay, so fat loss, yes, important. Scale weight's important. All of these other things are important. But we need to consider everything in the, in the picture. We can't just be looking at, okay, have you got on the scales today and you're lighter, yes or no? Right, that's what determines the success. So when we're looking at health metrics, um, obviously some are easier to track than others, but what are just a couple of things that people should be, do you think, doing on a daily basis, at least just to be able to make sure that they are in that, in that healthy zone? Yeah, so I... I love metrics in the sense of, let's say, blood pressure, heart rate, HRV, and I'll explain some of those further. But one thing we need to be careful as well is that we've become this this nation or this, this world, if you will, of we are always wearing these trackers of some sort. We've got all sorts of wearables that are tracking heart rate, tracking movement, all the rest of it. And we become fixated with that determines how we feel for the day. So we wake up, we check what was our sleep quality, what was all of these other things that we've got that are monitoring um, what is going on internally. And rather than actually considering, okay, well, I, I felt like I had a pretty good sleep, I feel like I'm ready to go, we look at something and almost that becomes the determinant of, of how we feel. So if you're having, and that this, I guess, leads me into HRV. HRV is a great tool for using for training and for using for, um, I guess, what is that balance between sympathetic and parasympathetic activation? And yes, we can see that if you're always going to be on the low end of an HRV, so when we're looking at a heart rate variability, again, depending on what system or um, what app you're using to track heart rate variability, typically the lower the HRV, again, depending on the system, the more sympathetically dominant you are, the higher the HRV, the more parasympathetically dominant you are. Now, I'm not saying that that is at all times because, again, it's a snapshot, so depending on how when you're measuring it is going to be determining where you're at. But that can give us a little bit of an insight into what's going on in the body. 
But that's not to say, for example, if you wake up and you've got an HRV, just to keep things simple, if you've got an HRV of like 85 and I've got an HRV of 50, I shouldn't be freaking out that my HRV is not 85. It depends how I feel. I may feel great at 50, but you, when you get down to 50, you may feel like hell. But it may be very difficult for me to actually get to your HRV. And that's where we've got to start looking at these things in terms of we've got to consider the individual. And yes, there are a lot of things that are going to bring down those levels uh, that we can find with things like HRV. Uh, if you've got chronic gut infections, if you've got emotional trauma, if you've got past trauma, um, if you've got any type of underlying chronic infection of the body, all of those things, imagine running a tab in the background on your computer and just having it open, but you're not actually actively working on it. And whatever you're working on in the, in the front, that's what you're seeing, even though it feels like it's running slow. Because that's what's happening on the cellular level, if you will, or in the background of the body. Is there's something that is running that is pulling away energy or resources that we need for actions that we're doing up front, even if we're not aware of it. It's just low-grade enough to kind of just be a bit of a pain in the ass, but not so much that we're going, oh, yeah, I feel like I'm sick or I'm run down or whatever. And then when we look at blood pressure, I mean, the blood pressure is a standard is that we consider now 115 over 75 as gold standard. And yes, they're shifting those numbers a little bit up and down depending on what research you read. But we like 115 over 75 or slightly lower. And again, as it's, we want that range, right? Like we don't want to set a golden number and you, and you say to someone, look, you've got to be 115 over 75 before we do anything else because it's going to drive people crazy. So we want to be setting that range of maybe you have 110 to 120 and maybe that's kind of 65 over 80. So we're sitting somewhere around those ranges so that we know that when you're in that zone, okay, that's the best area for you to be where we can start pushing a little bit harder with training. Maybe we can make some adjustments more aggressively with nutrition in terms of creating a deficit. Maybe we can push you harder if you want to be growing, uh, growing muscle or stimulating muscle growth. Okay, we can start to work a little bit harder now that you're in a better position for adaptation. But the problem there is that some of the ability to go out and buy, buy a blood pressure cuff, slap it on your client before they start, and make sure that they're safely able to train. So do you reckon that, as you said, there were people looking at metrics, they're almost, uh, from a psychological perspective, talk themselves into feeling more fatigued than they are, or looking at these... Um, if their heart rate variability is more sympathetic, they're like, okay, I can't train today because my heart rate's sympathetic, so therefore they might even not feel like training that particular day? 100%. And that's where, as I say, I love data, but data has also become such a crippling aspect. And you think back a few years, like we didn't have access to all of those things. Sure, we, had, we were able to take blood pressure, we were able to take heart rate, but we didn't have all of these other... Um, insights into what was happening we had to track things or be aware of things much more um, individually in the sense of okay how do you feel how, how did that training session go go how are you actually progressing in the gym how are you progressing with your food what's happening with your digestion what's happening with sleep? all of those things that are going to be uh, much more qualitative in nature rather than actually quantitative of giving you a hard line as to you are good or bad to train today and that's how people are starting to interpret it now. Whereas for us, we're looking at things rather as 
was a trend over time. So if I start to see someone's metrics, for example, if we work in those early phases on bringing them to a, a good stage, which is what I'd consider kind of like the green light areas, that's where we're ready to go. We're, we're now ready for really hard training. If we push them into a block of hard training and we start to see those metrics crumble, that's perfect because that's what we're looking for. Adaptation needs to come from some stress response. But if we keep pushing that stress response or if we keep pushing that adaptation for too long, we could potentially lead to maladaptation. So that's where we want to think about, okay, we start to crumble the metrics, but don't rely on, oh, you've woken up on a Monday, your metrics are down, right, training. No, we're looking at how are you trending through the week and over the phase. And if you're trending down over time, okay, how long can we push that for? Then we pull you back out of that stimulus. Now we can actually swap that stimulus to something that's more recovery focused or more parasympathetic uh, orientated. But it's not to say that we need only one week of a certain stimulus. Okay, your metrics have started to crash, let's bail. We need to give things time. But if we see that your metrics are failing very, very quickly, maybe that stimulus is just slightly too much. So everything's a gauge, if you will. And we're always looking at how do we balance this for the best results possible. So instead of, I guess, a big key takeaway, instead of looking for absolutes, as in this, you know, it's black and white, there's much more metrics that need to be monitored in terms of sub subjective and objective. Yeah, and exactly as you say, everything kind of lies in this, or I guess the body doesn't work necessarily in black and white. Everything's so many shades of gray because someone can be feeling fine and if we're just looking at their metrics and their metrics are in a, a green green light or in a gold standard area, but their digestion's still off, okay, we've got something else that we need to work on. And so that's why like, I prefer to have a few different questions that we can also look at in terms of digestion, sleep. Again, waking heart rate. I've got clients who are waking heart rate, they're in the, the low 40s and they sleep really, really poorly. So I can't just assume that just because the metrics are good that everything else in their life is good. We've got to look at how does all of this stack up and then also what was their, their past training like, what's their past medical history like, all of those things so that we can start to form a bit better picture to know how to direct them. So when you guys look at um, someone's in a, a deficit, for example, so for everyone knowing the context of the conversation I'm going into, someone's wanting to try to drop body fat, you guys have, a, I guess, a quite a, not even a unique approach, probably the smart approach of progressively giving them more food throughout that period or that phase. How do you think about that? And is there a specific, I guess, body fat percentage that they go to? Is it when you feel the client's ready? How do you think about that as a whole? Yeah, so, I mean, we're tracking, uh, obviously, gym performance. So we're tracking what is the, the demands of their program as well. Then what are the demands of the things that they're doing beyond training? So you can calculate nowadays to get an approximation as to what type of amount of calories they're going to be burning during exercise. Now, again, all of these things, it's, it's best guess at the end of the day. So I'm not saying that this is black and white. And I'm not saying it's going to be a clear-cut number that you can just refeed someone on. It's always coming back to best guess, but we've got to start somewhere with a baseline. Then when we've got that baseline, we can start to figure, okay, if you're having a rate of loss, let's say you're losing anywhere from half a percent to 1% body fat a week. Depending on how much body fat they're carrying to start with, if they're going to be anywhere over 20% body fat, chances are I'm not going to be pushing up calories too high unless training is really starting to get ridiculous. 
but we know that you've got enough stored energy on your body that I can run this for a longer period of time. Now I'm talking about males in this example, okay, not females. So in that example is that as I'm starting to bring body fat down, I know that they're going to become more sensitive, especially towards carbohydrates. And we know that carbohydrates is the predominant fuel for more intense exercise. So if I'm wanting them to be able to train harder and if I'm wanting them to be able to perform better and recover better, I'm going to gradually want to give them more carbohydrate. But I'm going to have to find something that is, okay, what is your maintenance calories? Then what is a slight deficit also including your exercise output? And that's, I think, somewhere as well is that we tend to look at what is your maintenance calories, right? We'll create a deficit from there, but then we'll slam them with six days a week or seven days a week of training plus conditioning plus something else. But we've already already now created that artificial deficit just through stimulus output alone. So we may not have even needed a nutritional deficit. And so it's constantly weighing up there is like, do I need to cut food or am I going to create a deficit through training? Where is going to be the best avenue to direct this person? And then over time, is again, is that's what I'm looking at is like, how are, you lo- how are you going with fat loss? Some people, we may give them refeeds. Some people are going to get a more linear style in terms of they just get put onto a deficit. Then gradually, as the amount of work that they're doing increases, we raise the calories slightly to match. Or we may do a diet, then we may do a diet break. And this is where it, it all comes back to, I guess, what we call is that the personal training side of things is it's not template based. You've got to consider what is going to work best, both for the person's mentality, but then also for their output. And a lot of people don't have that ability to just push a diet or to be super strict and robot-like for a long period of time. We have temptations. We want to have birthdays. We want to do all these other things, have nights off with our family. I would much rather a client was able to adhere to some type of nutritional uh, guidance that I give them long term and they can still feel like they enjoy the process than two weeks in they're pulling their hair out, their wife or partner hates them, they never can do anything with the family so they don't want to go to the gym and they decide what's the point. And that, that for me is, okay, where's going to work best? Maybe it's Monday to Friday, we run you on lower calories, you've got a better routine. Then on Saturday, Sunday, cool, I bump your calories up a little bit. We give you a little bit more wiggle room because now you can go out, have a great time with the family, go have some popcorn, go enjoy a pizza, whatever it may be. Is that optimal? No, but it's practical for that person. I guess so. We, it's it's we, always considering that guide. Yeah, I think you just hit, I guess, hit the nail on the head as, as <laughs> you've, all, you've done throughout this whole conversation is that we've got to think of not the theoretical look at on paper it needs to be you know 20 percent deficit x amount of thousand steps per day you know uh, volume is going to be this but what can this person actually practically do with their lifestyle their family life their stress levels etc yeah I, now this is where i get into debates with people about this in terms of research is great but research is still a guide right like everything that we have that we have out there in terms of knowledge or theoretical knowledge that we can apply to people is perfect because we need some type of foundation that we can use as a guide to start someone on but then we also need to understand that we're working with people in the real world and in real time we're not working with people who are in lab constraints so suddenly if you've got a highly stressed individual we want to talk about calories in calories out and you've got someone who's super highly stressed 
And then they've already been in a period of being in a diet, but okay, we've calculated that they're doing more work, they're eating less, why are they not losing body fat? Well, they've been chronically dieting for a long period of time. And maybe their relationship with food is poor, maybe their relationship within the family house is poor. I, I don't know, there could be all sorts of things going on. And if they're always highly stressed, they're not gonna be optimizing, especially when we're talking about like nutritional partitioning, they're not gonna be optimizing those pathways. Then they go to training and they feel flogged, so they're only putting in 50% effort. So it's kind of this non-stop pushing shit uphill pathway that we're trying to approach. Yet we need to really look at, okay, maybe you'd be better off cutting your training back. Maybe you'd be better off having a little bit more food. And yes, we'll sit at maintenance calories for a while, but you may not gain weight. You may lose some weight. Sure, you may put some on, but we need to think about this more of in a long-term sense if you're not losing weight and you've plateaued, you can't just keep indefinitely pulling calories. That's a very short-lived uh, approach to fat loss, in my belief. Yeah, as you said, that like it's going to drive up sympathetic output. It's going to make your life a hell of a lot worse. So you're going to be agitated, irritated, more moody, a pain in the ass to be around, and that's not going to, I guess be the best thing in the world for you potentially wanting to just binge and fill yourself full of food and feel good. Yeah. So when we're looking at, um, as I said, about uh, training really hard, what, how do you guys think about long-term periodization? So not, not necessarily too long-term, but after sort of 12 weeks, I find nowadays, especially after people go through a 12-week training cycle, they go, cool, now what do I do? How do you guys think about that? Is it you going to a deload? I mean, it's going to be very individual to the client, I know. But how are you thinking about after the post-12-week mark? Yeah, so, I mean, again, hypothetically, let's just assume that person's been doing some type of 12-week fat loss protocol because that's usually what most people are doing. Yeah. Then we're going to be working out, is there, do we need to extend this fat loss protocol? Can we shift into hypertrophy-style training? Um, has, this been, has this person been running a linear style of periodization? So they've been doing 12 to 15, one block, then 10 to 12, then 8 to 10. Do we need to push that any lower or can we go back and start it again? Can we rinse and repeat? I think we also have a, a tendency as trainers to feel like we constantly to, need to whip out these shiny new toys in terms of programs and every block has to be so vastly different and we've got Jill doing squats the first phase, deadlifts the next phase and now she's doing front squats and then she's going into jump squats. It's like give her a chance to actually learn the movements and get strong and capable of something. And rather than necessarily actually changing movements, let's look at what variables we can change within a movement. So if we're doing, for us, I mean, the body's going to adapt quickest to the rep range that you put it in. So in terms of if we're making a change and we've gone from 12 to 15, 10 to 12, if we start to get lower reps, okay, what are we actually trying to chase now? And this is where there's so many variables within this, and we talk to our students about this, is that if we think about, let's just say, a traditional strength program of five by five, you have to start thinking outside the box. If you've got someone who mentally loves lower reps, okay, well, we can use lower reps, but what if I take a five by five and I mitigate half the rest? So instead of using, say, 120 to 180 seconds rest, what if I slash that rest in half and I only give them 60 seconds rest? Now I know they're not going to be able to use 85% loading. So they're going to end up using 
slightly sub um, submax weights in terms of what the protocol was initially designed for. Does that mean that's wrong? No, it doesn't. It just depends on what we're chasing. And so for us, this is definitely where we're looking at what is the outcome this person wants to achieve? How much time, how many days a week do they have to put into towards that, um, that result that they want? And then what is their training level as well? I think another thing, people are trying to overcomplicate training. Like pick four to six movements, get people really, really good at it, have some accessory movements and some ab work and some remedial movements in there as well. But other than that, you don't need a huge variety of movements to get the job done. And we're overcomplicating it for people who have already, they struggle to even perform a squat. And now we want to do squats with partials and squats with these other things that we're adding in. And maybe they didn't even need a squat in the first place. Maybe they hate squats. Okay, so let's let's run leg press. Let's run leg extensions. Let's run um, hack squats. Let's run any different variation, like whatever it may be. And let's just progressively add some form of more challenging resistance, which can just be in the form of load or slowing eccentrics down. I guess the um, with uh, I guess the rise of social media nowadays that so many people are chasing followers at the point are just the craziest exercises and I guess marketing, hey, this is how I got to where I am. And the I guess the issue is changing exercises too frequently, you just become really fucking average at lots of exercises and you never actually get strong. 100%. And that's the thing where we see people with like, if you want to do, if you want to get strong at something, we know strength is a skill. You're going to need to do a certain amount of that skill so many times a week. The stronger or the more able you get at that skill, typically that exposure starts to get less because you tend to be more neurally able to recruit much more muscle fiber when you perform that skill because you've also got much, much more load present. So if we consider a squat, for example, some people, they may need six plus days to recover between a squat session, depending on how hard they're pushing. Other people may need less. So that's going to alter in terms of that frequency of how much exposure we're getting through that movement. But it's also going to alter for some people if they are only doing one squat session a week at the moment. Okay, maybe we just need to change the loads. And this is where, like I mentioned before, five by five protocol. If they're really screwed every time you do a five by five protocol for the next five days, okay, well then maybe is that what you need right now? Is that what's going to lead to the adaptation that we need? And this is where I think after a 12-week program, we don't want to be planning out people's workouts for 12 weeks. I would rather plan out for six months, for a year, whatever it may be, and think about where is this person trying to go. We're not trying to plan for an exit date of 12 weeks because otherwise you get there and then the person feels like, well, what's left now? And you're going, I don't know, we'll just start again or maybe now we'll do a hypertrophy block and you're left chasing your tail. There has to be things, performance goals, physical goals, and some goal outside of that. So we're looking at performance goals. How do you think about nutrition if someone's going to do, for example, two-a-day workouts? Um, I know a lot of people listening to this are um, CrossFitters, so they do, I guess, multiple workouts a day for the most part. So how do you think about nutrition when we're programming for two-a-days? Is it pre-post-workout carbs to prepare for the second session? How do you think about that? So the first thing there, um, especially with twice a day training, is it's what's the time frame between 
each session. So when I'm considering, uh, let's say if someone wants to do twice a day training and one's going to be morning, one's going to be night, if it's someone, let's say it's CrossFit, okay, we know it's going to be pretty high intense, potentially both sessions. Most CrossFitters tend to like really high output work. Again, unless they've got a really well-structured plan where they're also considering recovery. Now, I don't mean to say that CrossFit is a bad sport or is it anything like that because I know people will take pitchforks out and chase me with it. But we need to consider as well as like what is the demand that you're placing on certain energy systems and how much can that energy system as well as different muscle groups recover between those um, training blocks. And then from there is, okay, we need to be making sure, do we want to, can you get some pre-workout carbohydrate into you? I'm not so phased about intra-workout carbohydrates. I'm more looking at, again, based on those sessions, can we get some pre-workout carbohydrate into you so that you can fuel that session? Then can we immediately get some post-workout carbohydrate into you so that we can try and replenish from that session? Then how long do we have before the next session? And this is where little things like... um, Oh, I cannot remember the man who I learned this from. It... Um, no, I can't remember, sorry, but I was at a, uh, there was a symposium put on by ISSN, I believe it was, uh, in the Gold Coast, and they were talking about using caffeine, and uh, what they were talking about was using caffeine to help replenish glycogen stores post-workout, okay? So we're looking at things in terms of if you can have someone, let's say it's their morning session, caffeine could potentially help replenish glycogen uh, glycogen stores by up to about 66%. So if we think about that in the sense of you have someone come in and they're doing an early morning workout and it's pretty demanding in terms of glycolytic pathways, we know it's going to have used a relative amount of glycogen that's either stored in liver or muscle. It's not a huge amount. I know people over talk it and they say, oh, you've fully depleted. You probably haven't. But we know that we can then start replenishing those pathways or replenishing those stores much more effectively if we throw a little bit of caffeine in there. It doesn't have to be a huge amount, but we can add some caffeine if the person is able to. So it's little kind of tricks of the trade, I guess, that we could consider using these little things that go, okay, if we can replenish glycogen stores faster, we can start to put you into more of a recovery state more effectively and more rapidly. We don't want to be delaying that. I still don't want you to be recovering by the time you get to your second session of the day. Then I also need to look at, after that second session, how long do you have winding down and what's following up the next day? Um, uh, Danny Lennon, I believe it is, has some great stuff on circadian timing for meal timing based on training sessions as well. And so he actually, uh, again, part of the symposium, he did a great talk on when you're looking at laying out multiple sessions a day, looking at what type of fuel source that uh, that session is going to be demanding and then what type of uh, session is not just in the evening but what's coming up the next day. So if you're going straight back into a morning session that's going to be highly intense, okay, maybe that post, post-workout post uh, meal that's following the evening session, we may want a bit more carbohydrate both to help you sleep but also help you recover to ensure that you're then going into the next session reasonably well topped up. Yeah, Danny Lennon, he's uh, Sigma Nutrition, if I'm 
right? In Correct. Tracking? Yeah, yeah, perfect. So for you guys who have not checked out, Danny's got some brilliant, brilliant stuff. What are your thoughts I wanted to touch on intermittent fasting? Obviously, I mean, it's been a big thing for a while, but especially recently with people sort of taking intermittent fasting with intermittent fasting with, with keto, intermittent fasting with a carnivore diet. What are your thoughts on intermittent fasting in general? I guess from a, a cognition and a, and a long-term health standpoint, is it effective? Is it as, I guess, as uh, beneficial as people are making it out to be? Personally, I like it. But again, is it's like it, I know you mentioned from a health and from a cognition point of view. For me, I'm quite happy getting up in the morning. I'm happy just having a cup of coffee, cracking on, and getting started with my day. Some people aren't so much, and I think that's where it all comes back to: is what's going to be best for what are you doing? And I like. I just like to be able to wait and have my meals later in the day. But if I'm working, for example, on a performance side of things, where if I was trying to grow muscle tissue or if I'm trying to ensure higher performance in the gym, personally, I wouldn't rather use it just because, especially when we're thinking about protein timing and getting regular protein feedings in, it's easier to space that out. But if a client, if let's say a general population client, they're a CEO, they don't have time for breakfast or anything else in the morning, and they can still adhere to some type of nutritional plan or nutritional guidance, and they can still keep everything within a window, okay, cool, I'm going to use that for them. Because I think it's in a very, I think it is a very effective um, style of eating, if you will. But again, as I don't think we need to overcomplicate it. And I think this is where people try and combine too many things. Like you mentioned before, it's kind of the paleo diet or the, um, the carnivore diet. And then we combine that in with intermittent fasting. And then like, what else are we going to combine it in with in order to try and maximize? Because really all of those things will probably work. But then once they start working for one person, we immediately assume it's going to work for everyone. And some people will drive them crazy the moment they skip breakfast. Like my partner, for example, the moment she gets up, she's hungry and ready to eat. And I'm quite happy to go to the gym, train fasted and everything else. I know she's probably only thinking about having breakfast most of the time while we're, having, while we're at the gym. <laughs> so very different people there and very different styles of eating as well. But if someone is able to get up, skip breakfast and maybe they have work lunches or maybe they have work evenings where it's going to be bigger meals, 100%. I'm going to use that for clients for those types of things to make sure they adhere to their uh, calorie allotments. I guess you could probably even use that on a um, on a rest day if you wanted to trial it out and see how you sort of felt on it. If you know you're not going to be training in the morning, you might go for a walk or whatever it might be, then intermittent fasting on a rest day might be an okay idea. Yeah, and... This is the other thing I like it for is that it teaches true hunger. We think about like how many of us eat either out of boredom or just out of habit. Mm-hmm. I have so many clients who they just get into a habit of I'm stressed, I eat, or I've had a bad day at work, I eat, and they don't even know what actual hunger feels like. And if you can push a, an, an eating window, if, let's say you're doing the 16-8 or the 24, whatever it may be, if you don't require a certain amount of food input or if you're happy to give your digestive pathway a break, 100%, it's really effective. It takes the load off just constantly feeling like you're eating all the time, but it also, again, as it gives that digestion system a rest, it allows you to clear a lot of things out. But context, right? Like this is where everything has to be 
And I know this is probably frustrating for you because you asked me a question and I'm thinking of things from like 20 different angles. It's purely how Luke and other mentors that I've had, nothing is black and white. I always have to consider context and I can't just give you one straightforward answer. So... No, what you I think what you've said is, is perfect. I'd rather you not give me the the one answer because what I what a lot of people sort of ask me when I post these shows, and for all you viewers listening, is there there isn't a lot of the times it is you've got to take into account so many other variables, and that's where I try and teach my own clients and even the listeners to this podcast as well is that it's not as simple as that, and you need to get out of the mindset of trying to think that it is because by doing so you negate so many other things. When we're looking at fat loss, they forget about sleep, about digestion, about God, I've had clients um, that have told me that they haven't been to the bathroom for two or three days. I'm just like, don't you think there's a bigger fucking issue here than you trying to drop body fat? Yeah. And everything works, right? You'd know this, is that you give someone, people get obsessed with, oh, I've got to have low carbs, or I've got to have no fat, or I've got to have something else pulled out. Or this is the reason that I am now in the position that I'm in. And it's like, well, no, if you want to drink wine and you want to, make sure you fit that into your nutritional plan, you can still get the results that you want. If you only want to train three times a week, you'll still get the results that you want. We've just got to look at how do we adjust everything else and change the pieces of the puzzle to fit that plan. But we then try and compare, like, again, social media, um, marketing, whatever you want to call it, is that we see someone on, on Instagram, for example, and they are doing five days a week training and we're only gonna to commit to two or three, they're training full body five days a week, they're eating really specific, um, a really specific nutritional plan for them that they know works for them. We're only gonna do two or three days a week and we expect to have exactly the same outcome. You're not gonna have the same outcome, you're different people and a lot of the people who you're seeing with these phenomenal results on social media in terms of if they're showing a certain style of training, Usually, most of that training is what their life consists of. And if you're a busy person or you have some type of job that is very demanding of you, you have other things that are requiring your attention. And that's okay. It doesn't make you a bad person to have other areas of your life that you're focusing energy on. We just, again, have to consider what is your context. Yeah, and... um... That is perfect because uh, even recently I've had people come to me and, and say, you know, here's what I want to achieve. I want to get on stage. We're like, wicked. Um, you know, we were looking at federations, things like that. And then they sort of say, yeah, like I want to train like Arnie did. And I was like, cool. I was like, do you have, you know, five hours a day just to have a fucking nap or to have to train or like, do you eat, sleep, shit, repeat like all day, every day? Like, no, like you've got a job, you've got a lifestyle, you've got a family. You can't do that. And beyond that is that you also have the mental fortitude to push yourself to places that you never knew you could go. Mm. And I was talking to uh, someone recently about this is that when I was slightly younger, I used to train, like if I got injured, if I dumb shit, it didn't really bother me because I was like, well, cool. This is part of training. It's all or nothing. And nowadays, I mean, I would rather not be in pain. I'd rather go in and train smartly. know I can repeat that same thing the next day all go in and yeah sure feel a little bit sore feel like i've worked something but i don't want to be in agony for the rest of the week and unable to work unable to walk properly like my my approach now is that i've got people who are much more demanding on my my mental abilities 
as much as my not so much on my physical abilities so from that side of things is like i want to be physically healthy and strong fit and able but i also need to be able to make sure that i'm not in pain and discomfort all the time and that starts to affect my job and that's again just priorities have shifted right and i think we get that as we go older it's like you've got a podcast you mentioned you've got clients like you've got a lot of things that are demanding your attention at all times you probably don't have the ability to then go three times a day into the gym and push deep dark into your soul into the hardest places for training and then come out and be able to focus on another thing again it's just not something that most of us can do easily yeah, I think like you said, their context, you've got to be able to look at the, the big picture in, in every circumstance. Mm. What, um, as we've spoken about there, I think a, a lot of things that where people go wrong are very much habitual, very much down to their behaviors. Are there a couple of little things that you think people need to think about or they can adopt for specifically nutritional success? I think that's where a lot of people do go do go wrong with trying to focus maybe going carnivore intermittent fasting um intermittent fasting yeah or with a specific paleo or they have to go low car they have to go high car whatever it sort of might be are there a couple of little tidbits a little bit of tips you can give people that hey look here are a few things that are going to set you up for long-term nutritional success yeah so first up i would say look at your personality are you an all or nothing type of personality if you're someone who's all or nothing, okay, you're probably prepared to make some changes and go cold turkey on some things, and that'll work great for you. So we can make broad adjustments easily at the start, and you will probably adhere to that. If you have a type of personality where, oh, no, I always suffer FOMO or the fear of missing out on things, and I know I've got weekends, and you're just going to be constantly creating boundaries, don't go all or nothing. Make sure you're working on rather displacements over time. And that's something I think we, we forget is that rather than saying to someone, uh, there was someone who made a comment on one of our posts at one point, and I said about rather than having Coke, for example, have Diet Coke, okay? I understand, yes, we're bringing in all the artificial sweeteners and blah, blah, blah. People want to get caught up on that stuff. Yeah, well, you know what else is dangerous to health? Being overweight. So if we can get someone's weight down, then we can start to work on these other things. And when we're looking at these things in terms of, okay, so if I've got someone drinking Coke and I swap it to Diet Coke and I've now saved some calories for that person, but mentally they're able to adhere to the plan, maybe now we can start working on rather than, okay, keep your Diet Coke, now can we add in a little bit of water? And this is where I think for a lot of people, especially when it comes to nutritional changes, we have to look at things in terms of rather than remove, 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 add stuff in that's going to be positive you will start to let some of those other negative behaviors fall to the wayside on their own in time. And a lot of clients I deal with, if they struggle with, let's say, binge eating or overeating certain things, putting those people into a deficit is not the best place for them to be going initially. Now, we may be able to displace some of that by saying, okay, well, I want you to have more beans, uh, more green vegetables, fill up on salads, like don't limit yourself on the vegetable side of things. Let's push up your vegetable intake as much as you can. I just want you to be eating more food at each meal, so more food volume. And especially when we're dieting is it's about trying to build food volume so that you don't feel like you're suffering all the time. But people just cut food groups 
rather than thinking about, okay, if I add more vegetables in, maybe I can swap out something that I'm having. So for example, maybe I'm having a fattier cut of meat, I can swap that for a leaner cut of meat. If I do that, I'm still getting meat in and I'm still able to feel like I'm enjoying the barbecue or whatever it may be, but I've saved maybe a couple of hundred calories that I'm now not feeling like I'm dieting. And that's where we always need to look at, first off, I think, as I said, all or nothing approach, what type of personality are you, and then also look at food displacement. And not everything is going to be perfect. We're not about trying to achieve perfect health because otherwise, first off, look at the fact that like, if you're not sleeping properly, that's going to be inhibiting whatever type of progress you're trying to achieve anyway. So let's work on gradual positive changes over time and just pick a couple of things that you go, this is going to be the biggest, biggest area that's going to make a, a big influence for me up front. Maybe it's having water. Maybe it's just going for a walk after dinner. Can I do that regularly? Yes, okay, cool. Now add something else in that's going to make another positive change. Don't just keep restricting for the sake of restricting and then you somehow end up making a mistake. So you go, right, now I need to punish myself for it and I'm going to pull more calories from today because I screwed up yesterday. Yes, that again is instilling that negative behavioral pattern of if I fuck up, I need to not eat the next day. Yeah, and... It surprises me actually how many clients we have who discuss things that they go through with other trainers and their other coach. Like I get it, working with some people can be frustrating. We all have things that we encounter with clients who sometimes you just think, why do you not get this? What is not clicking? We don't know what their story is. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know what they've been told unless they tell us. So if they've had someone harp on at them for a long period of time telling them that carbohydrates are bad or whatever it is is going to kill you, then we try and make an adjustment. You can appeal to their logic all you want, but if they're, if they're leading with their emotion, they aren't going to be able to get out of that mindset that they're stuck in. So we need to think about what what is your understanding at the moment of food? I'll use my parents as an example of this is like when I've been home and I've said to my parents, okay, make these adjustments. They grew up in a different era to me. So older generations have a very different understanding of proteins, carbohydrates, fats, what you do to actually lose weight. They look at food very differently than we do nowadays. We're all about, you've got to have eat this much protein. Oh, you're not eating enough. Eat like five times your body weight in protein pull all the fat down or pull all the carbs out and then you've got to somehow go to carnivore or keto or whatever it else. Like these things may not be common knowledge for people of a different age bracket, but also may not be a common knowledge for people from different walks of life. So we need to make adjustments that are going to work for them, but also that teach them why you're doing it. Don't just do things and then expect them to blindly follow. Yeah, I, uh, I love how you said your, your parents, the, the amount of times I've tried to give uh, health and nutritional advice to my dad and he literally just looks at me and tells me to fuck off. And, and, and that's the end of the conversation. I'm like, oh, okay, great. And we just carry on. And as you said there, it's people with a different era, but they may not necessarily want to do what you think is, is the right thing to do. So you've got to look at it and ask, okay, what's actually practical? What can we actually do? And can you actually adhere to whatever I'm going to give you? 
Yeah, I mean, Luke always says you can't help anyone who's seen you naked. So if, they've, <laughs> if you grew up and they've seen you naked, yes. you can't help them. Um, exactly it's always right. the same with partners, right? Like if you've got a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you try and help them and you're like, cool, this is the training plan. And then they go, yeah, okay, whatever. And then someone else tells them the identical advice and it's like, thanks, I never really thought of that. Yeah. Mm. And they're the this only is- people that can get away with not listening to you as well by just telling you to piss off. Exactly. And for your own sanity, sometimes it's just easier to avoid it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, this is where I think we have a tendency as well. I feel like if we don't get something right, we're failures. And then if we instill that in our client, like if they make a mistake and you grade them for it, then it just either ingrains the behavior of next time when I make the mistake, I won't tell you. Or next time when I make a mistake, I will self-rectify it and I'll change the plan to account for the mistake I've made. And I think the biggest thing, like I, the way I started addressing that with clients is I would start asking them, look, they would say to me, oh, on the weekend I went off my plan, I had some beers and I went out and I had burgers and things like that. And I'll say to them, okay, did you enjoy it? And they're like, oh, yeah, it was all right. Some people say, no, I didn't. And I'm like, cool, why did you do it? And they're like, I was caught up in a situation and I just got pressured into it. Okay, that's fine. I understand these things happen. But then other people, if I say to them, did you enjoy it? And they say, yeah, actually I did. I'm like, cool, you enjoyed it then. Don't beat yourself up about going out and enjoying like a moment with friends and enjoying having a meal out. But just understand that if we do that every single day, you aren't going to get to where you want to go. Now, if you would like to be doing that every weekend, we can make some adjustments through your week to allow you to do that so you don't feel guilty about it. Would that help? Yeah, actually, that would be beneficial. Okay, cool. Now, you win and I win. And I know you're going to be in the future, if you do something like that, you're still going to share it with me. It's not that I'm annoyed at you. It's just that I need to know because if the plan starts not working, I'm going to be looking at what I've got in front of me and the set of instructions that I've given you and be saying, okay, this is currently not working. Do I need to create more of a deficit? Do I need to increase the surplus? Whatever it is, do I need to change the instructions that I've given you because we're currently not achieving the plan? And that may not be the case. It may just be that there's a miscommunication there and the client doesn't yet feel comfortable side of things with you. And I, I think for, for all the PTs and the coaches that are listening, it's okay to adapt and you have to be willing to adapt and not just look at the program and go, okay, it says this, so therefore I have to do this. Because for the most part, clients are not always 100% of the time going to follow exactly what you say. 100%. And this is like when I used to train people in person, and I'm not saying to every person listening, go and do this, but I would have clients come in stressed to their eyeballs and we would literally go and do some stretching and then I would give them 20 minutes of guided meditation. And people would look at me like, what the hell are you doing? You're a trainer. No, someone's hired me to get results. If you've hired me to get results, all I need to do is get you results. It doesn't matter how you get there. I mean, we think about this in the sense of climbing a mountain. Like, okay, you, you want me to help you climb that mountain? Fine, we could walk up it. I could hire a helicopter. We could fly straight to the top. You didn't tell me how I needed to get you there. You have now passed on the role of leader to me to get you to that end goal. So if that's what you want, I'm going to use whatever tool I've got in my toolbox and help you get there. 
and that especially for in-person people you have such an advantage of seeing people day to day learning to read body language learning to read expression and emotion and actually looking at your client not staring at your computer or your phone or whatever else you're looking at actually connect with the person in front of you and understand what they're going through and then figure out what is the best plan of action for today in this given moment if they've been sitting all day well yeah maybe we're not going to squat maybe we're going to do some stretching first to open everything up then we'll go on to practice your squats yeah i um i love what you just sort of said there because i i've had clients quite often going through really hard times in life and they've come up to the session almost like breaking down. So I'm like, cool, let's go get a coffee. Let's go, let's go have a coffee. Just talk to me for the next 45 minutes. And they were incredibly appreciative of that. And the rest of their day, I've had numerous texts saying, I actually went to the gym by myself in the afternoon because I felt way better after just letting loose this morning. Yeah, some people get relief from and I will make a, a judgment here in the sense of it's, it's typically female clients who feel better if they can get something off their chest. They tend to be more emotionally open about what they're going through. Guys tend to want to express that through doing something in the gym. Like, that's fine. There's nothing right or wrong. And it, it, sometimes men may want to go out and get coffee. Sometimes women may want to train. It's absolutely fine either way. But your role as the coach is if you say to someone, look, would you like to go and discuss this? And would you like to go and get a coffee? Or would you like to discuss this before we train? If they say no, fine, door shut, move on. You've done your part. But if they say actually, yeah, that would be nice, you're not doing a disservice by taking them out and by actually allowing them to speak and get off their chest, whatever it may be. You may now have gained an extra three or four weeks of progress just for the fact that now they sleep at night, they're not going to be binge eating, they're not going to be going off the rails and drinking that night, whatever it may be. Yeah, no, absolutely. You, um, I wanted to touch on a little bit on routines. You said that you practice a bit intermittent fasting in the morning, you just have a coffee. Is there, what's your morning routine look like in terms of setting your day up for success? Or do you have one? I do have one, but um, so we recently got a cat, and that, that cat is, <laughs> is killing me, man. Like the, the cat stays up all night, um, and my partner said the cat's in heat, so it's like we've got a horny cat walking around the house, and <laughs> it's literally from like nine o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, it just starts meowing all night. But my typical day would be I get up, um, usually, me and my partner will go to the gym. Um, so she has a, a job where your typical kind of nine to five type of thing where she actually has to be present at a workplace. Um, I will get up, then we have breakfast. Usually we have coffee as well. And then from there is, so I check, um, I check my social media kind of accounts first off in terms of if I've got clients interactions. And I say social media just cause like I have a lot of people who message me through messenger, yeah. through Instagram, emails, all those types of things. And I see first off kind of what is my plan for the day based on who needs what. But I also, I guess part of being an online coach is that there's always programs that need to be delivered. Um, there's always things that need to be done based on where do they fit in kind of that sense of urgency. Um, usually I have some form of research or study through the day as well. But recently it's been more... I think the start of um, 2020, I, I took more of a focus on my own health in the morning. 
so typically now when I wake up is I will I have a coffee I might go outside for a bit I'll spend some time actually being by myself as well um, it's very easy and you probably know this as well it's very easy just being glued to your computer screen all day or being glued to screens all day and then realizing you have no sense of time or no sense of like what's actually happened through the day um, so I spend more time now being aware of how do I feel and like maybe I'll do a little bit of stretching or something like that and just base it on day to day um, it's been a big shift for me to try and be okay with taking some time for myself um, even though this is what we tell clients to do and everything else it's always do as I say not as I do um, and I'm a perfectionist type person so I just give everything that I have I will give to my clients and I will give energy to whoever I can to try and help them be a better person then usually at some point through that is um, I will decide to write a post and it depends on if it's something that I've seen or been exposed to the day before, um, if it's been a conversation between clients. Um, sometimes we have posts stacked up, sometimes we don't. I love writing. I love It's an expression I feel for, for a lot of us, it's an expression to get communication across. But then, like you mentioned at the start as well, is that a lot of the writing I do it allows me to share somewhat jokes of the industry as well. Um, I don't know how far, how much you can swear on this podcast. Oh no, go fucking nuts. <laughs> so this is the one industry. And I know Luke said to me when I started with muscle nerds, he's like, you will reach a point where you hate this industry. And I never thought I would, but it's like, and I know other jobs and worlds and industries and stuff probably have the same. But this industry is so fucked, man. I do not understand it. Like, I don't understand how we have such a heavily saturated industry full of absolute morons. And I'm not saying that every trainer is or every person out there is because we have a lot of really highly diligent trainers and highly intelligent trainers. But it seems like all of those people are outspoken by people who just learn to blow trumpets really loud and just market themselves really, really well. And... It just kind of, that's where I think I mentioned to you before, is it's like just logic. It just doesn't seem logical anymore. And people can tote the craziest things and say anything and everything and kind of get away with it. It just blows my mind what people can say nowadays. And so, yeah, usually for me, that's some form of for our social media. I don't necessarily say we try and write wrongs. We just try and correct the the alignment of the ship over time and try and nudge people in the right direction. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like then that reaches a point where then in the evening, getting back to, I guess, my day is then I'll cook dinner um, or try and cook dinner for me and my partner. Um, we wind down usually in the evening um, and we'll either like watch some Netflix or something like that to chill, hear about her day, and then usually I'll do a little bit more work and then we read and wind down before bed. What, are, what does a day of nutrition look like for you? What are you eating at the, at the sort of moment? I'm always intrigued to hear people's day of eating. Um, so nutrition for me, honestly, it's, it's pretty standard. Like I'm, I can eat the same thing every day. Um, as long as I've got coffee, I'm usually pretty happy. <laughs> but um, we tend to have, so at the moment, our morning we've just recently stopped um we tend to have at the moment we have 
some form of protein. We have some eggs. So we have kind of like toast with eggs with some form of other protein on them with some sprouts and some lettuce. Like we make pretty good breakfast meals at the moment. It's just a phase that we've, I guess, been in. I think I actually um, saw a burger post of yours one a little while ago. It wasn't even that long ago. You were like, this is actually at home. And I was just, holy fuck, that looks insane. Yeah, so that's what we're eating at the moment for breakfast. Um, but we tend to, like, I'll be honest, as I'm, if I need to track, I will track. But otherwise, I tend to be someone who under-eats pretty easily, as you can probably tell from my massive frame that you can see <laughs> sitting before you. Um, so I, I will just work. And this is one thing, like, my partner keeps me very accountable on is that she makes sure I eat enough. Like, if I don't, I could cruise through on eight to 900 calories a day. I am not saying that it's healthy or good for you because I will eventually crash. But I just get so into what I do that I just forget about eating. Um, so, yeah, so we normally we have breakfast and we pretty much just kind of have proteins, carbs, and fats at, at most meals. Um, and then sometimes through the day I have another meal, then have maybe a couple of snacks, and then usually we have dinner and then we have... I want to say like desserts, but we pretty much have like epic desserts every night where it's like I'll have five or 600 grams of Yopro. Um, we have berries and then we chop up some fruit through that as well. It's kind of become a tradition for me and my partner and it's it's one of those things that it doesn't actually affect in terms of, especially if you think about calories and stuff, it's not actually that damaging. But both her and I, we have massive sweet tooth. So it gives us something that we can share and is not something that is like, okay, we're sitting down and eating really bad food. I don't want to say bad food, but really calorie-dense or sugary food. Mm -hmm. So it allows us to just kind of have a meal that we can share together, we both enjoy, and we wind down for the night. What are you um, doing, you said, when you're winding down at the night and reading? What are some what are some like books, readings, or even watchings that you recommend people check out? So if you work in the industry, I highly recommend that you find something outside of the industry. I think it's too easy to become fixated on always doing health, fitness, nutrition, whatever it may be. I've been there, like my bedtime books would always be some type of biochemistry or something like that. You'll drive yourself batshit crazy at some point. But um, we, what are we watching at the moment? I think we were watching... Um, Anything that's like easy to watch, seasons on Netflix. So I think, oh, we we just finished watching Orange is the New Black. Mm, yeah. Um, and we're watching um, Shameless at the moment, and I think we were watching Suits at one point. Mm -hmm. Like we try and find something because we both sit there and we'll be like, right, what do you want to watch? And she'll, I'll say, you choose. And she's like, no, you choose. And we'll sit there for half an hour and like, you choose. No, you choose. What do you think of this? And I just. We're two very indecisive people when it comes to that. But um, so anything that is just kind of a TV series that is a complete, for us, is a complete disconnect. So she's got a background in exercise science as well. And it's easy for us to just constantly talk about those types of things. And I have an obsession or an addictive personality. So it's very easy for me to just get like fully involved and be talking about those types of things as well. So anything that is a, a disconnect um, from those worlds. Um, and then in terms of books is Zoe, if you guys don't know, look up Zoe on Instagram and you look up the book that she puts up stories. 
she shares a lot of really good reads um, that are fiction, non-fiction, all sorts, but most of the time they are not fitness-related. And usually Zoe is my go-to if I need reading material and I'll just say what's good and she'll give me stuff. So it's, it might be reading about like the um, the cocaine gangs or something in Thailand and prisons of Thailand and it's all these types of things that are way out there that I'd never know about otherwise. Um, I've just finished a great trilogy which um, the last book was called Hellbent, I think. I can't remember the other two titles, but uh that type of thing and i was reading i am pilgrim um anything that allows me to really disconnect is is what my go-to is so if you want a good book seek out zoe on instagram what what was zoe's handle again the the signal went a little bit so her handle is is it night underscore zoe something like that yeah it's at night zoe um but either way you'll find her like even if you go on to muscle nerds and stuff you'll probably find her on there um, but yeah, she's massive on the books in terms of she's got a, a huge personal library. Um, and she is the person who, if you ever want good reads, she's your gal to connect with. And what is, uh, what's your favorite training method that you've ever sort of used or practice? What's one sort of system, whether it's GBC or gym volume training, whatever it might be that you just absolutely love? I must admit, actually, I love uh, like Gronda 8x8s. They are horrific to do, but it's one of those things where I'm someone, if I go into the gym, I'd much rather be lifting heavy, but I hate sitting around. Like, I get bored real quick. And so, if I'm going to be doing heavy training and it's kind of like you have to rest for anything over two minutes, I just get really bored and then I'll usually cut my rest short and do it. And so, I don't do very well on the progress of heavy training. Um, whereas eight by eights, it keeps me mentally focused for an entire hour and it allows me to get a lot of work done. Um, I have a great, I have a great sense of achievement with those workouts, but it also, it allows me to drive really hard without actually destroying my body. So it's, yeah, it'd be one of those things that, um, some people love that type of work, like that high metabolic work. It gives you just enough rest between each set that you feel like you're not doing a, a billion sets. Um, but yeah, it's for me, it's the way of getting a lot of work done without necessarily feeling like I'm getting a lot of work done. Yeah, so just jack up that density of the workout. Yeah, and it's it's just so easy to adapt to so many different things. Um, I think that's one of the things as well is that when we think about what type of training do you like, and it's interesting like what's your favorite style of training uh right now so i love just strength so right now i'm, I'm just enjoying some wave loading um beginning of the session and then go into just i guess some accessory work yeah see and i think that's the thing is if you're if you're a person who likes you think about wave loading right and it's like if you're doing say like a five three one wave loading mm. and if you like that style of training there's so many ways you can keep manipulating it for such a period of time so that someone keeps progressing mm. and like we were talking about before is that it's so easy to think about when i'm laying out programs if one of my clients says to me i really like that phase of training cool i keep that in the back of my head and i'll manipulate future phases of training to fit that same style because i know that it's going to get them going i know they're going to be motivated to do it so if you like let's say it's a grander eight by eight for me for example if I'm going to go in, maybe I'll just first do 
10 sets of or five sets of 10 trying to keep that rest down and then gradually bring those rep ranges down so i'm also getting stronger over time and so there's so many ways of manipulating that we don't just have to get fixated on this like i've only got one style of doing that program yeah no i um, i completely agree with that i know for me if i don't lift heavy i feel like an absolute pussy and i'll just i'll just go i'll just leave i guess yeah yeah it's funny you say that because like we have that with clients and you program something and they go nah i'll need to go heavier than that that's too light and then you see them do the movement you're like i've never been i've never felt so weak and humbled in my life <laughs> it's like yeah we can do that but there's nothing more humiliating that is kind of like oh, I'm, I'm doing a movement and i can't yet put weight on the bar and the bar feels <laughs> like it's a problem <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's brilliant, as you said there, for that client to feel that way, feel humble, and then six, 12 weeks later, be like, right, okay, I'm a bit of a freak right now. Yeah, it's it's setting that foundation, right? And mm. I think that's where a lot of people as well is you, you come back to, are you prepared to put in the groundwork and put your ego aside? And you look at some of the big names that I, some of the bigger, I guess, people that even I follow, like, um, if I use as an example, like Kalamut muscle mentors, like I, I love watching that guy train. He's an animal, but you look at what he, how he trains and it's so well thought out and you watch some of these, these big guys train. Some people train with all intensity and ferocity and fine, but then other people like they do the groundwork to ensure they can do those big movements with strength we may not necessarily focus on the other stuff. People just see the one movement. They go, that's what I want to do. And it's like, you don't see all the behind the scenes work that this person's doing. You don't see all of the groundwork this person does day in, day out. So they can do that and maintain it. And a lot of the times that's for years, not 12 weeks. hundred percent. Yes. And you've got to be prepared to commit to that, right? You've got to be able to look at yourself and go, okay, I'm willing to go in and make sure I'm taking care of the small cogs first so I can keep training the big stuff the way I enjoy it. And the day you skip that is usually the day you regret it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I want to be really respectful sorry, of your time, but what's next for you, Lastly? What's next for, for the life of Shane? Um, so I don't think I'm ever allowed to leave. I think I've actually been <laughs> So I think my contract has been changed to a life contract, but um, no, actually, to be honest, is I guess if I look at my past and the sense of jobs and things like that, most jobs within a two-year period, if there's not room for growth somewhere, I usually decide to move on and seek the next challenge. Um, and this has been one of those jobs where there is just so much opportunity for growth, both as a company and as, as an individual within the company. And long-term, my goal is to be assisting Luke on a much more um, in-depth level in the sense of lecturing and things like that. I'm just starting to kind of wet my feet in some of that, like he's throwing me under the bus with program design and different lecturing and things like that. But um, that is a goal of mine to be able to be able to stand in front of people, teach people and teach people how to do things the right way. Um, and, but also beyond that is just teach people how to think and teach people how to think for themselves and look at something and critically analyze and critically pull it apart and construct a new way of moving someone forward or moving themselves forward. 
there's still so much possibility there. And for me, especially with the muscle nerds, is I think the sky's the limit for us. Um, we've only really started to scratch into our true potential and we have so much more to give and so much yet that we are to uncover and actually release for people. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's constant growth. I've got a lot of seminars that I'm looking at doing this year. Um, always trying to find the next way of upskilling and finding what best way I can offer what I have to those people who come and seek out our services. Yeah, and you guys are, you especially as well, are definitely doing that in terms of wanting to change this industry and, and getting people to critically think about so many different aspects rather than accepting what somebody on Instagram told them to do just because they've got great abs or a nice booty. Yeah, I mean, that's the, it's the mentality that I guess I've always... Like, I'm, a, I'm curious by nature. I know Zoe's curious by nature. I know Luke hates us asking questions, but, like, we literally just... Anything, if he gives any piece of information, we're always like, why? We don't understand it. And he, he doesn't necessarily always give the answers. I think this is sometimes a misconception people have that working for muscle nerds, you're just... You're always at... Or always at Luke's side, and he will be giving you every piece of information that you need. He won't. He'll find what is the best way for you to grow and then he will make sure that he holds you to a certain standard and you hold yourself to that standard. And I think that's something that both Luke and Zoe do extremely well is they support, they grow um, employees, they grow people and like help with the self-development, but they also push you to places that you never really thought you could. And they make you believe in yourself, especially when, in times when you don't think you can. Uh, that's one of the things for me is that it's, it doesn't even feel like work to me. It just feels like constant family outings in the sense of I didn't realize I could grow so close to people and feel um, so welcomed, but then also like people respect your say on such a whole whole new level and people want your input and then they want you to be the best version you can be. Oh, brilliant. It does sound like everything that you guys are doing does sound incredible and there's such an incredible group of people that you are, that you're finding yourself sort of working with on this, this journey in life, which is amazing to see. And lastly, mate, where, where can people find you? What's the best avenues to, uh, to check you out on? Uh, so for me, anything Muscle Nerds related, so I think it's at Muscle Nerds Health. I should probably know all of our tags <laughs> and know all of our catchphrases. Um, but yeah, at Muscle Nerds Health, um, we have a new website coming very soon. Um, we have a Facebook page as well, Muscle Nerds Health. Um, but otherwise, on Instagram, I am Shane O'Leary Fitness. Um, but as I say, you'll find me through Muscle Nerds as well, as most of the content that we post now is I do a lot of the writing of the content, whereas Luke handles the other side of things for our own mental sanity. Um, and then. Uh, yeah, I think that's the only places for me at the moment. Otherwise, um, you'll tend to find us. We have a lot of closed forums as well where we help program design students, help our training clients. Um, so there's always a lot of behind-the-scenes work that goes on that once you kind of get into those circles, it opens up a whole new world for you. So, um, yeah, if anyone's interested, then just by all means hit us up. And all those tags and, and handles and websites and everything will be in the show notes as they were with Luke's episode. But Shane, I want to thank you lastly for taking the time to chat with me today. 
Thank you very much, mate. If I'd known you had all the handles, I wouldn't have. I would have <laughs> well, I wanted to see where you were going with it, and I was like, oh, I don't know if he knows I'm going to put them all in the show notes anyway. <laughs> so all of the tag handles are the ones that you share. Don't necessarily listen to what I may have given the wrong handle for myself at this rate. Well, somebody's going to get some love on social media, regardless if it's you guys or not. As long as people are sharing the love, that's all we care about. And that's, that's beautiful. That's all we worry about. <laughs>